0: Welcome back to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Balm. You may have noticed the show's been on a bit of a hiatus. I think it's been uh, a month and some change. Who's counting? I don't know. Uh, But I'm back with the exciting news that I have joined the Hard Times Podcast Network. So a big thank you to Matt and Bill over at the Hard Times for taking the show on. I would like to say thanks to The previous company I was with, Podcast.co, for giving me the opportunity to start this podcast. Um, And especially to Tom Hughes, who was the producer and editor uh, until this point. So massive thank you. Huge debt of gratitude. Um, You are gone, but you are not forgotten. And with that, I would like to welcome the show's new editor, my pal Tim Crisp. He hosts an incredible podcast called Better Yet. He also co-hosts an Alkaline Trio podcast called As You Were with my friend David Anthony. So big thank you to Tim for uh, giving me his expertise going forward. What else is going on? I started a Patreon. That's original, right? (laughs) Uh, There's some fun stuff that involves the podcast uh, that you could check out over there. It's patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Um if you want to support, help out, toss me a couple bucks, I would very much appreciate it and there's a lot of fun stuff that comes with it. What else? Coming up very soon, I am going to start an incredibly fun thing called the First Ever Radio Hour where a couple times a month you're going to get uh episodes where it's just music and it's me talking about music. It's like a bit of a break from the from the conversations. Um I'm still going to be doing this podcast every Wednesday. But, uh, yeah, like I said, twice a month you're going to be getting these radio episodes. So um, I hope you enjoy those. And uh, to tie it to the Patreon, if you uh, enjoy those, uh, if you sign up, you get an extra two of those a month. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I think that's kind of everything. I guess I should talk about what's happening today. What's happening today is I'm talking to Ned Russin of uh title fight fame uh does a solo project called glitterer which just put out a brand new record we talk about that a bit um but the but the most exciting thing about getting ned on was he just released a his first book called horizontal rust uh it's a novel uh fiction novel and um i read it in a couple of days just to get myself prepared for this interview and um it's an it's a fantastic book you'll hear me blow smoke right up ned's butt on this one but um it's still available uh, now, and um, it's definitely worth a read. So, uh, so yeah, that's what's going on. So, I love Ned. Uh, we've been friends for a really long time. toured together uh, in multiple multiple countries. Um, thankful he gave me his time. So, I hope you enjoy this. I'm going to stop talking, and we'll get on with the show. It's the first ever podcast, and here's my conversation with Ned you. Ned, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're you're my first guest back. I've had a little hiatus and uh, went through some changes here with the show, so um, I really appreciate you uh, talking to me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's nice to to see you.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I the the show up until now, I never used Zoom. It was audio only, so it felt like a phone call. Yeah. So this is the first time actually seeing the person I'm talking to, which is nice. I think that adds an element of uh, of just comfort. You yeah. know, yeah, there was moments when because it was a uh, because it was just audio, where I would let the guests speak because that's what they're there for, and they would be going on tangents, and I would just be listening because I never want to interject, but then because you can't see the signals in, in one e- in each other's faces they thought that maybe I had disappeared or like wasn't paying attention anymore. So there was like the the awkward silence. Yeah.
1: I've done the thing where I, I like expect a visual cue to be like, okay, the answer is sufficient. And so then I'll do the rambling thing where I'll just like keep repeating the same point, like (laughs) changing words slightly, just being like, uh, yeah. And this and this and that and this and this, and just keep going until like, I have nothing left to say. And then they're like, okay, thank you. And I'm like, yeah, right. I I didn't need to do that.
0: Yo, so this morning I just uh, I finished your book. I, uh, I I plowed through in just a, in uh, just a couple of days because I wanted to be um, prepared for this uh, for this show. Um, amazing work, man. Thank Genuinely. you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Th- thank you yeah. very much. It's uh, it's it's also nice to be able to read a book hearing your voice. You know, like it felt like I had my own audiobook version of it as i was as I was reading it because I've known you as long as I have now yeah um how long How long was this process for you like when did you when did you start writing this
1: um I started working on the book in in january twenty eighteen um, wow. which was my second to last semester at school um It was my final creative writing class and I I mean, like, I I read novels almost exclusively. Um, That's, like, my preferred genre, my preferred medium. Um, And so, to me, it was always, like, the goal is to write a novel, you know? Um, Yeah. And creative writing classes don't really lend themselves to long-form anything at all. Uh, So you always work on a, a short story because that's what you can that's what you can create in that time. That's what you can discuss in that class time. It's like really perfect for school. Um, But the thing is like, if you, if you want to do something longer, they don't really show you how to do that. So I decided just in my final class to just start working on something longer. Um, Kind of like got an idea that I was comfortable with that I thought could be expanded that I thought I could like pull off and then started working on it. And I, I, would you know work on it and then do some music stuff work on it do work stuff work on it and then like after about a year or so I got like a first draft thought it was like done put it away for a period of time and then came back to it and reread it and that's when I was like oh this is terrible Um, oh wow yeah and that's to me that's one of the hardest things that I had to learn about writing is the amount of space that you have to give yourself to try and be objective with your own work. Because with music, I don't know if it's just because I've done it for however long I've done it, or for whatever reason, I I feel like I can be objective quicker. And also because like it takes so much shorter to consume a song, you know, like, right. So, Uh, so uh, out of curiosity was,
0: um, were you a like, for lack of a better term, like a bookworm growing up? Like, was this kind of always something that you were striving to to want to do? Uh, uh,
1: yes and no. Like, I I read a lot as a kid, but it wasn't like I was like the reading kid or anything. Like, mm-hmm. my my brother Harry is a is a much better reader than I ever am um, and was, and uh, I, I liked. You know, I read like whatever. I read the Harry Potter ki- books growing up as a kid, and sure. Um, I like, I enjoy doing that. And I like, I enjoy the challenge of like, okay, here's like this big book and I have to read it all and like trying to get through it and understand it. Then I really fell out of it for a long, a long time. Um, and then when I was on the road, I, I actually just felt like I was getting dumber. (laughs) Um, and you know, like, (laughs) I think we've all felt that. Yeah. It was like really, (laughs) really bad. Um, and so like at, you know, like whatever in high school, I, I read, like, The Outsiders because, like, bands referenced it, reference it in songs. And I read sure. On the Road because bands referenced it. And, like, you know, stuff like that. I was, like, kind of going through, like, a punk reading list. Like, very, you know, like, whatever listens to Jawbreaker 1s kind of stuff. And then, um, <laughs> and then, like, when I came back to it, it was, like, okay. I, I think I enjoyed that stuff that I was reading in high school. I don't really know. I want to do something to like exercise my brain and that I can actually do like while traveling. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to like pick up reading again. And I just, uh, I, that was when I was like, whatever, I don't know, 21 or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I literally just Googled like hundred greatest American novels. And I would, it's like, you know, at that point I was kind of like refinding it and finding it in my own. Yeah. Cause the stuff that I read before was like it, stuff I enjoyed. But it was it was never like stuff I really sought out, other than like those punk books, you know. Right, I, they're not they're not punk books. I don't know why I'm calling. I know them. what I, you, you mean, but you know, like
0: things you know, youth b- books that reference a youth culture in some yeah. in some capacity. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, I mean, yeah, I'm curious how close you feel you are to the Graham character in this book because obviously it's very you know, a lot of similarities with your own personal life. Obviously this person goes to Columbia university or went to Columbia university, um, from wilkes Bear. I'm saying Wilkes-Barre, right? We've been friends long enough. Is that, is that the correct?
1: That's the way I say it. Yeah.
0: I think I, I think I, I think I say it that way because that's the way you've said it, but I've also yeah. heard it pronounced other ways. So it's, it's, that,
1: it's, it's contentious. My oh. understanding is that the, the correct pronunciation is Wilkes Barry. It's, it's yeah. actually, like, it's two people's last names, okay. and the, their berry is French, and there's an accent on the E, so that right. should be, like, bear, I, I mean, I don't know the French pronunciation, bare, um, yeah. and so, yeah, but, like, I just say Wooks Bear, most of the people right. I know say Wooks Bear, but, like, there are people that I know that say Wooks Bar, Wooks Berry, like, it's, it doesn't really matter, I don't know.
0: Okay, okay. Well, that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable just approaching you with something like that, yeah. <laughs> which I know you have pride in. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with reading the book, like the, the, the very intense detail of, of what is the SBO, the Slavic Brotherhood Organization, is this mm-hmm. something that exists? Is this something that is in your past, in your family life, like something like this?
1: Um, so, I mean, th- the, the first part of the question, how close am I to Grand Mercy? Yeah, a uh, complicated question, you know, because this is, like, the first interview I'm ever doing as, like, a, you know, quote-unquote writer. Okay. Um, it's weird. I don't know how to, like, yeah. engage with these questions appropriately as, like, you know, the thoughtful, uh, whatever, person who, like, put time into this book, but at the same right. time engaging with you, my friend, yeah. who I'm, like, you know, can be candid with. Um,
0: well, I don't, I don't you, you speak on it as comfortably as you want to speak yeah. on
1: it. But the thing is, so, like, my the school of thought that I subscribe to is that, like, the author's biography means nothing. Okay. It's, you know, the the, the idea is, like, the death of the author. You know, it's like what what is on the page is all that matters. Right. At the same time, I'm super interested in autofiction, which is, like, a current movement uh, or, I don't know, scene or something within writing where protagonists or narrators or whatever – will, like, greatly resemble the writer. Um, Sometimes even being, like, sharing the same name, um, sharing, like, a lot of the same, uh, I don't know, like, qualities and characteristics. And there's something about that that, like, really pulled me in because it's like, okay, I believe that, like, the author doesn't matter, but at the same time, it makes you question what's real and what's not. And I talked to... Uh, a professor of mine about it who she wrote a, uh, like an auto fictional book. Um, Her name is Annalise Chen. Her book, so many Olympic exertions. It's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Um, But I talked to her about it and she said like auto fiction is great because it buys you like, it gives you a world that nobody questions, you know? And like it does, it it gives you the ability to not have to explain things um, Hmm. because it's just accepted or assumed that it's kind of like your existence in a way. Um, so all that being said, like, I wanted to play with that. I wanted to create something that was real and could be completely imagined, but, like, you didn't really have to think about it, you know? Right. I do have experience with a fraternal life insurance organization, but I'm you just going to leave it to. at that. The, the, you yeah. The
0: detail... The detail. In this, like, I, I don't know if it was uh and please, please don't take this as a slight because I think it, it's written so, so incredibly. But like. the The in-depth detail felt purposefully dense at points where it's like it's just so much like thick information about what that organization does. And it like a lot of it kind of repeats where it's like it's really letting you know how. Specific, this world really is and then the juxtaposition to the Graham character and his own, uh, you know, self-conscious things and and, uh, how he's moving in the world and thinking about his future and things like that. Like having them go back back and forth uh, as often as they do, um, I feel like really kind of is the like the SBO in itself feels like such a character in the book. Um, And I don't know if that's anything that that was purposeful or not but the level of detail that goes into it is like I, I feel like I learned so much about something that I never you
1: know <laughs> like would think to have, uh, to have learned about you know yeah yeah I mean I I think a lot of the themes and a lot of the ideas that I had and a lot of like the the entire project was kind of wrapped up in the idea of this failing fraternal life insurance uh, you know organization because it's like it's something that Is not necessary, but it's something that at the same time is so serious and so important to like so few people. Yeah. And there's something about that that allows for like a bit of absurdity because looking from the outside, and and Graham can see it as well, it's like these people take this thing that means nothing to mean so much. And there's like something amazing and kind of beautiful about that, you know? And it's like.
0: Yeah, I mean, that could be a reflection of even the cultures that we're involved in.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, like, it's not a stand-in at all for that. Um, yeah. But it's like everything is absurd to that, you know, to, like, a certain extent. It's like the, the rituals and in, in whatever, like, anything that exists in a culture from afar seemed, like, most of the time can seem, like, just completely asinine. You know? Sure.
0: It's fun. I, the, I had two... I know one of them I have, I think I know the, so does the Sterling Hotel exist? Was that an actual thing in Wilkes-Barre? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, fi- I figured as much. Um, and then Angelo's is the pizza place we've had before, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love lo- See, like there's the moments like that in this book that I was like, this is, this is Ned definitely showing his hometown or like, like hometown-ish because you're from Kingston, but how yeah. close is Kingston to, it's like <laughs> the same shit, right? It's, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and then this is a funny question how difficult was it for you to decide which music references you wanted to make in this book? Cause as someone who is obviously a musician, Mm very engraved in punk rock, I found it interesting that there is no talk of actual like punk and hardcore. And I wondered if that had to, if there had to be like a a little thing in your brain, like don't reference that. But then the two times you do reference music, it's built to spill and beach house. Yeah. And and in totally different situations, like uh, understandably, but like, was it difficult for you to decide which bands you were gonna reference, like, or or was it, or did it come pretty
1: naturally? Um, the thing is, like, it came naturally. Those were like, so, the Built to Spill reference, I changed a couple times, but mm-hmm. I landed on that pretty quick. Beach House, it was like right away. Okay. But the the thing is, for me, it was so much about like explaining the character. And the yeah. thing is, I I don't think of Graham as like. A, um, a punk kid or something. Not a punk kid and not even, like, so much an alternative kid, but he's, like, a young person who pays attention. And sure. if you're, like, you know, like, you get exposed to certain things just going to school in New York and, like, that kind of stuff. But also, like, I-, I don't know. He has older siblings. He's, like, just from a place that, like, has weird stuff going on. It's not that, like, crazy for me to think about a person like that being exposed to a band, like, Beach House or Built to Spill? Uh, Built to Spill Especially, maybe a little bit crazier.
0: Well, if you're yeah, if you're if you're in college, there's a chance you've come across this. That that's, yeah. it feels like this era is college music for sure. Yeah. But I like that you referenced a Built to Spill record that is not one of the top 2 beloved. Like when I read it I was like, really you're not going with
1: no. with, the, <laughs> with the with that, the other two? I yeah. mean, cuz like writing from experience, that's like that's the first one I heard. Sure. You know, and it's just like yeah. I don't know, I don't know why that like I came across that, but like those are the things that you do when you're in high school and you're like getting into shit. It's like, I don't know. I listen to this record because the cover is weird. Or I heard this band name and this is their first record. So therefore yeah. I'm going to check this out first. And like that, that was just like, to me, that's just like a nice little, uh, uh, thing about his character. The, like, he's like, Oh, he like listened to weird music, like quirky underground kind of music. The beach house thing was much more specific for me because like full disclosure, I like beach house. I think it's they're same. cool. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I enjoy their music. I think a 23 year old guy trying to impress a girl in 2013, a hundred percent would put on Beach House as a way to be like, <laughs> I'm cool. Like, I know I'm what's just, up. Yeah. You know,
0: I, I'm a little in the know, at least like this yes. is not on the radio. Yeah. Yes. Totally. You
1: know, and like, granted, they're like an extremely popular, well-loved band, yes. you know, and it's like, it's to me. I actually, I got an email about it already. Seemed so like, I love like a beach house reference that like I'm a sucker for that. And it's like, I am putting that in there as like a nod to beach house. But at the same time, it is like, I don't want to say like, you know, corny, but it's supposed to be like, this is like how a 20 year old, 23 year old thinks to impress a girl. Totally. You know? And it's like, I don't know. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm not 23 years old. I'm older than that now. Yeah. I still don't know the like what is like proper etiquette in like music listening with like listening to somebody you're trying to impress or whatever. Yeah. But that being said, like you you're always the, the what I like about writing and what I like about books is like you're allowed into a person's headspace but you're never really given like you're given full access but you're not like privy to what's going on in their psyche, you know, unless mm-hmm. they fully spell it out. And so something like that, it's like okay, What are his motives here? What is he trying to display? What does this show about his character and about like, you know, just about the scene and about the world that he exists in. And so it doesn't do heavy lifting, but it does lifting, you know? Yeah. And so that was something that like, yeah, I'm a musician who put music references into a book. Obviously, like that's going to be important to me. Yeah. But it's not just like showing something that I think is cool and not just about like, you know it like uh, it would be like easy to like name drop i don't know even just like woxper stuff like that would have been funny but i don't think that would have been appropriate to the world of the book
0: did you ever have any moments like in 2018 where you were like wanting to include any sort of counterculture aspect to his character or was that never even on the on the plate
1: no no in sure. in my mind this is like i don't know not an alternate universe but it's just like this is like a person that I would have went to high school with, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And like absolutely. the people that I went to high school with, like, they liked whatever MGMT and they mm-hmm. liked um like they they liked the shit that like wasn't on the radio, but it was on like Sirius XM, you know? <laughs> it was on <laughs> XMU for sure. Um and so it's like it's it's like a believable kind of thing. The the like I, I haven't figured out a way to write about like h- punk yet, hardcore, you know, it's like sure. That's enough for that anyway. Yeah, that's, like, really difficult. And at the same time, it's, like, I don't want to – I kind of don't want to do that, you know? Yeah. It's, like, this character doesn't – I don't know. This character isn't, like, for me to, like, further examine those parts of me, you know? Right. This this book, to me,
0: really did feel like it it, it was in the same headspace as, like – the first time i saw the graduate or even even though it's referenced in the book like catcher in the rye like a very like person just out of school trying to figure out what's next but in a very short time frame and i think you did that really really wonderfully like i I, i'm not just blowing smoke because you're my friend like this is a very very well written book and uh, i I hope you're feeling proud and good about it how how are you feeling now that it's
1: out thank you I, i really appreciate that um I don't I don't know how I feel yet. It's really weird. Um, I've been working on the book for so long and like 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 I said kind of at the beginning it's like I would work on it, put it away and kind of come back to it and like feel like shit because it would be like you would kind of leave it like yeah, I got everything right, put it down to kind of forget everything and come back to it in like a couple months and be like this is terrible. I have so many things I need to fix. And after doing that so many times, I finally got to the point where I would, like, put it down and pick it back up and be like, this is okay. You know, not like this is perfect, but it's like, okay, this is, this is at least, like, this is getting better. And so I got to the point finally after, like, doing however many revisions and then going over it with a, an editor, my friend Matt LaForge from Millspec, um, to it was like, okay, this is, like, this is the real deal. This is, like, the finished product I think it's, like, in an actual final state. Um, and so then, like, as soon as that happened, then it was like, okay, we're going to order the books. We're going to put them up for sale. We're going to just, like, get it out there. And so it went from this kind of, like, immediate... um, I, I, I don't want to say, like, state of euphoria, but, like, state of just, like, contentness yeah. to being, like, extremely nervous. That it's like, okay... This thing that I've finally gotten to the point of being, like, okay with now is going out and people are going to read it. And I don't know how they're going to react. And so far, the feedback that I've gotten, I've been, like, very happy about. Because um, it's just been, like, people that I know have read the book and they've texted me. Yeah. And they've been like, I really enjoyed this part. I enjoyed when you did that. I enjoyed this. And it's just, like, those little things that, like, really mean the most to me, you know? Um, I wanted to
0: ask is... Is the feeling of getting this done and to the pressing, like to the, to you know, to the, to the printer, similar to getting a record finished and getting that to the press and like getting it turned into the label? Like, what, is there any similarities or do they feel completely different?
1: I mean, like, yeah, there there are definitely similarities, but. I don't I don't know. It It doesn't feel similar at all, but it's so weird because it is the exact same thing, you know? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me Is I still feel like a fraud in writing You know um, It's like with music I, would have, I I don't know how old I was When like I had like my first Actual like physical release But I, I think I was like 17 or 18 You know mm-hmm. And that to me didn't feel outlandish Because I'd seen my older brother do it I had been going to shows I'd seen bands do it um, You know it's just like This is a, a thing that's possible with writing I got into it and I like you know I didn't feel like I was I didn't feel like people were celebrities but it still felt like these people are like extremely intelligent they like work day and night on their craft and they put so much time into this and like I am not that person I am not you know the author that I'm going to see read At whatever bookstore Even if there's like Five people there You know Like I went to plenty Of readings in New York Where there's like Nobody there But it's still Those people felt like They were like On another level Than I was And so then For me It's like I don't know In music I felt like This is This is something That I could do In writing It felt like This is something That I don't know How I can do it But I want to do it You know Yeah And so it was just like Kind of giving myself Constant pep talks Of being like this, you can do it. It's like if you just keep writing, you'll get enough words. Right. And then after that, then you could revise it and then you could cut down and you could build back up and like all these things like I, I could do it. I had the time. I, I like, you know, I understand it, but it's still the whole time was just filled with like self-doubt. And, you know, like that really colored my experience of like getting the book or it's like, wow, this is like I, I can't believe that I, I did this. But I hope people don't realize that I'm a fraud, you know, like, which is not an experience that I had with music.
0: It's funny, a reoccurring plot or plot, a a reoccurring talking point on this show is imposter syndrome. And I still stand and I say this, I've said this in multiple episodes, like, I don't, I don't trust anyone who doesn't have imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: if someone doesn't have that, has never felt that, not very interested in their art. Yeah. You know, so I, I think you feeling that way is uh, is a plus as much as I know it's a struggle. And it's again, it's just another thing that's mentioned in the book, you know, like uh, here and there, the the idea of imposter syndrome. It's it's something that I think uh, so many of us struggle with in any sort of art form, whether they're a musician, a writer, a tattoo artist, anything,
1: you yeah. know, I think it, and The thing for me. And I think it like extends so far beyond like just art, too. And, you know, and to me, that was like an important thing in the book is because it's like. Graham is a person who has like, it, I don't want to say nothing going for him. He's like an intelligent person who has like, you know, who just graduated from a good school and will probably land a good job. But the thing is like, and and on top of that like, okay, like he's got like a a, a loving family and like a nice home life and like all this like he's really set up well. Even within that, he's like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. Like this is so tragic and terrible, which is like so kind of in at in that context, it's almost like funnily melodramatic, you know. Right. Yeah. And and like I, I I appreciate the humor in that. But the thing is like as you know a a thirty one year old now, like I feel that way about so much stuff beyond music. And it's like I think it's just in my mind when I was eighteen it's like okay you turn this age and then you like have everything like you know figured out, which is such a stupid cliche thing to think. But like yeah. I think that's something that we all go through. And it only, like, takes getting to that point and then, like, asking people who are older than you, like, hey, did you know what you were doing when you started a band or got a job or, like, you know, started a new relationship, like, any of these things. And I feel like every single person is going to tell you, like, no, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and to me, like, to me, I, I take comfort in that as much as I can, you know? Yeah. Because I still feel it. It doesn't, yeah. like... Th- that's another thing too. Is like acknowledging it doesn't erase the actual feelings, right? You know, it would be great if it be, if I could just be like, yes, I know this is ridiculous, and then <laughs> it would just go away, and then just go away, yeah. But but you know, here I am, however many years into doing stuff, still yeah. get like you know, still feel weird like about playing music. I'm like you know, in the middle of feeling crazy about putting out a book, like all these things. It's like this is just, it's fine, I guess.
0: Yeah. You also put out this book pretty soon after the newest glitter yeah. record. So those are like two things back to back. It's fun. And so the show, I mean, I know you're, I'm sure you're familiar with like the show's all about first experiences. So I'm glad that we got to talk about, uh, this book first. Cause obviously this is a first experience for you. It's your yeah. first re- you know, release of this book. Um, and uh, I, I figure that feels like a good segue to to kind of lean into music stuff. Um, I was curious what, when you were young, what, like, the very first experience you remember connecting to music was that felt like it was yours. Something that, like, maybe you discovered
1: on your own. Um, I didn't discover on my own, but I have an older brother, Alex, yep. who is seven years older than me. And he was getting into punk and hardcore when he was 14 or 15. And so I was seven years old. And he would, like, try and show Ben and my brother Ben and me stuff. And I kind of already knew that it was, like, I don't know, not stuff that you'd hear on the radio. Sure. You know? And so I was, like, I don't know. This sounds like such a ridiculous thing to to repeat out loud but i was like you know seven years old and big brother alex played me blink 182 dude ranch for the first time and i was just like yeah this is cool and i went and i made a cassette copy in his room and like ben and i would like play it and jump on our beds (laughs) and i and i was legit like the kids at school don't know what this is i'm cool you know like It right. was It was like what a, what a a terrible Toxic thing to think As a seven year old But it was like I, I like really wanted yeah. Something off the beaten path You know Yeah And so like uh, I, I like had that And it's like funny You know like That was an underground record You know that yeah, was on no. a major record label Damn it was a
0: huge hit Yeah
1: <laughs> Two years later They were like One of the, the, the biggest bands In the world And you know But at that time It's like I felt like I had found something And, and I feel like that like kind of stuck with me. Like I, you know, I I didn't really listen to music on my own at that point. But then like when I was 13 and I like heard side by side for the first time and like the rev catalog and stuff like that, which was not stuff that I was unaware of, but it was stuff that I like I hadn't listened to yet. It, It was like the same kind of thing. It's like, this is something that I'm like, I'm tapping into that like, people don't know about and that's cool and like I know it's cool but now I'm realizing why it's cool and that was like a really kind of like I don't know affirming kind of like moment like time and time again
0: sure no that makes sense um did your older brother did Alex take you and Ben to concerts at all like when you were that young or like what was your first what was the first concert that was like not like maybe a local show
1: um so the first show I ever went to Was when I was seven years old It was uh, oh my, my my brother booked a benefit show For my cousin Who was in a really bad car accident oh, um, And so it was Like all the, the biggest local bands um, And it was at the Kingston Independent Fire Hall Where Posi Numbers 2003 was oh, And wow. so it was Magnus Which had Dan And Nick from Cold World um, Bedford This like local Nerdy pop punk band Who were really cool Uh Alex's band The Vermicious Canids This like local Popular ska band Eight Ounce Show Which just like All these bands that My brother was friends with And I saw that And I was like Oh this is like Really cool And I, I have like Flashbulb memories Of that show I remember wearing A tie-dye shirt And Alex told me It was cool to wear A tie-dye shirt Because Richie from Underdog wears one On the cover of Demos I don't know how I remembered that Wow But, but when I saw that Record like Ten years later I was like Oh that's the shirt That Alex is referring to Stuff like that. Um, and so, like, I went to that and then, like, didn't really do anything else for a long time. Uh, I saw Blink-182 when they came to Montage Mountain in Music, Pennsylvania <laughs> in 2001. And Alex took me to that. Um, nice. And then, like, we went to, like, another concert and, like, we saw Blink-182 again in 2003. That was, like, when everybody in our crew started to get into, like, music for real. And so that was like the last concert that I went to, besides when it was like, I don't know, I don't know, I I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers on tour, like, you know, like I got a free ticket somehow, like other than like like weird little things like that, like that was like the last concert I've been to, you know, it was so like...
0: Cause I know the band started in 2003, uh, title fight that is, that was your, and that's, as far as I remember from our conversations of being friends, that's, that's a lot of your first bands, right? It, that was your first band?
1: They, it was my first real band. Yeah. I had, sure. I, I had a band before that, that played a middle school, two middle school dances and recorded a demo. Okay. Um, well
0: then guess what we have to talk about? that Cause it shows all about first experiences. Please, so please. so talk, let's talk about that band. What, okay, what okay. was that band called?
1: So that band was called Salsa Shark. Which Salsa was, Shark from, was, uh, from, from Clerks. Uh, clerks, yeah. I had never seen Clerks. I still haven't seen Clerks. I didn't understand the reference. The kid who played guitar was like, yeah, there's this funny movie called Clerks, and they do this thing. and I was like, yeah, cool. Sounds funny. I don't know. And so have we started just, this have band.
0: You, have you just now, not, have you still not watched that as some weird, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just still haven't seen it. Like I had a band named it like some. Weird, yeah, uh, it's yeah, thing. I still
1: have PTSD, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so we we started this band. Um, it was this kid that Ben and I met through like local like choral stuff that my parents made us do. They would send us to like Broadway summer camp. And uh, we would, like, sing show tunes <laughs> and stuff. Awesome. And so, like, because my parents, like, were, were really into music. And they're, like, you know, you should go do music stuff in the summer. And that was, like, our summer camp experiences. And we, like, met this kid who was also into, like, alt music. And he played guitar. And so he came over. Ben didn't even have drums yet. Ben had an electronic drum set that was four pads. And he didn't know how to play, like, hi-hat while also doing like kick and snare. So it was sure. just like one drum at a time. And we recorded this demo that was like four songs or something. And uh, it, was, it was terrible. It was awful. It was amazing. And so... Do you still have it? Ben has to have MP3s, but I, I don't think I do. Okay. I, don't, I don't think we made physical copies. Um, okay. And then we were like trying so hard to play a show. Uh, and our guitarist dad had something to do with like uh, a local high school or a local middle school, and like they needed entertainment for a dance, and <laughs> we got the gig to play, and <laughs> we 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 played like I think we played like an hour and a half set. I talked about this with Ben recently because Ben's quarantine project was digitizing all like old family home movies. Oh wow. And he digitized his own collection, which is like his video collection is like absurd because he videotaped everything from when we were like age 12 to age like 20. He has all on camera and he digitized it all. And so he digitized that tape and I was like, he sent it to me and I realized (laughs) like we played like an hour and a half. We played like, swear to God, like 25 songs. We didn't learn any song past the first chorus. I don't know how we finished the songs. And I was like, we, I remember practicing and being like, okay, we're going to play. Like, here are some songs we play. We played like Midtown, Still Rock and Roll, uh, Get Up Kids, whatever like, that acoustic song is. We played like uh, maybe like Taking Back Sunday. We played like all like the hits. Did and you play them correctly
0: enough or were they just kind of a mess?
1: I don't remember. Okay. Sure. <laughs> but we played them, and there's no way we knew how to end any song, <laughs> and we would just like get to a point where we'd be like, "All right," we just like look at each other, like, "Boom," and that was it.
0: Um, and, uh, yeah. Did the band do any? Did the band try to write any original songs, or was Salsa Salsa Shark just a cover band?
1: No, we had originals. We had okay. uh, we had a song called Unibrow. We had we covered uh. On our demo, we covered Cat Life Thief by Boxcar Racer. Um, Notably, an uh, Alkaline <laughs> Trigger ripoff song. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> we, I don't remember our other songs. But we, Man. we it was like, yeah, we like we tried to be a real band. And that yeah. fell apart like really quickly. And and then we were like, okay, I don't know. Like, we're gonna do a serious band now. Yeah. And that's like when I met Jamie in middle school. You know, that's when like I sat next to him in social studies class. And so, like, that, that like, kind of just took off from there. We kind of just, we, we kind of, you know, whatever had, like, an infrastructure in place already of, like, okay, we have this place in our basement where we can practice and my parents don't care. And we have this little cassette four track that we stole off my brother that we can record with. And, you know, like, we know this guy who can maybe put us on a show. And so we just, like, started there, which was still square one. Yeah. But it was a pretty good square one for a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds, you know,
0: when that ba- when Salsa Shark, I love saying that when Salsa <laughs> Shark rec- recorded their demo, was it was it like a was it just like with a four track with some friends or was it you didn't go to a studio, did you? No,
1: no, it was a four track. Um, sure. It was a like just a little uh, Tascam cassette four track.
0: Was the title fight split songs with uh, Erection Kids? That was that your first like in a studio recording experience, or was that also like a home studio?
1: No, no, the, the uh title fight's first demo was at a real studio. Okay, is that um, place still
0: around? Who was it with? what I, I was that like?
1: I think it's still around, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, the studio is called Plymouth Rock Studio, it's in Plymouth, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went there because Frostbite, my older brother Alex's band, had just recorded a seven inch there. Um, and so. We, like, emailed the guy. They had they had two studios. They had an A room and a B room. And the A room was, like, four demos specifically. And uh, I was like, hey, like, we want to record in the A room for a day. And the guy's like, yeah, that'll be, like, whatever. 200 bucks or something. I don't even know how we got the money. <laughs> we went in there. Jamie, like, didn't even have an amp at that point. He borrowed Alex's shit. The rest of us just, like, kind of, like, you know, whatever, figured it out as we went along. And we just, like recorded five songs and then after that we were kind of like that was stupid why would we spend the money doing that and then in 2004 we recorded ourselves we recorded a demo ourselves just in my parents basement and then after that then we started being like okay we're trying to play shows we're trying to like get out of town we have to have like a real recording we like kind of started figuring our way through like the local ecosystem of people who recorded stuff and so in 2005 we recorded two demos. One of them was with this guy in a band um who recorded out of like our friend's father's auto body shop. Wow. And then the second demo is like when we like figured everything out and somehow like it came down the line. I think War Hungry was the first band from Wexford to record f- with him that I remember, but they found this guy named Joe Loftus who recorded out of this woman's basement in Wyoming, Pennsylvania. And he had super reasonable rates. His stuff sounded good. He had like Pro Tools and whatever, you know. And it was like, this is the guy now. And so we went there for like three, four years. You know, like recorded everything there. Like Title Fight recorded all, all our stuff there. Our hardcore band, The Gnarlies, recorded our stuff there. Tiger Jaw recorded there. Cold World recorded there. Bad seed recorder there. It's like everything that we were doing at that time was all done at that studio. Um, and he's, he still has a studio. Who he moved in the last couple of years. Um, but Joe Loftus is still going. And it's like that, I don't know, those kind of things feel so crucial, you know? Yeah. To like that, that facilitated multiple scenes, um, you know, for like a, a several year stretch. And then after I that, think- that's like when we started touring. And that's when we found Will. You know those people are so so uh, instrumental in
0: in scenes. Like I think for LA, especially in the world that we're in, I don't know if you've ever, if you ever met Alex Estrada, but he he played in a band called Silver Snakes. But mm-hmm. he uh, he did the Dead Horse, uh, our first record. Yeah. but He also did like the First Choice Manor record. Um. He's just he's like the go to guy. We yeah. I, I still to this day go to him whenever I need to get anything done you know he's he's just he does all of our pre-production demos like people like that are so important and that's cool that uh to hear that your scene had that same sort of situation like the go-to guy yeah
1: it's funny i i I don't think i've ever met alex but i i know his name from looking at records you know right sure um but the thing is like our guy was not somebody in the scene which makes Mm. it a little bit more interesting because he was i don't want to say more interesting not to like diminish anybody's work. No, it's, but it's I like know what you're saying. he he was like such a peculiar guy because he was like a 30-something year old metalhead who his old gig was playing guitar in a cruise cover band. Like they went on cruises and played oh, cover bands for like people while they ate and drank at the bar and stuff. And yeah. uh the singer of that band who is the woman who sings on, I believe it's the Cold World Strength for Reason split, the one who sings Cold World motherfucker, Wooks motherfucker. <laughs> it was her house and she uh-huh. let him record out of the basement. And he was just like a guy who liked metal music and liked recording and stuff. And you know, wow. we went to him and we were like 16 years old and he was like a 30 something year old guy who played a seven string Ibanez and was like, had no idea what we were doing, but we were just like, hey, we want to, like, sound like this record. And he'd be like, cool, I could do it. And, like, you know, we would record a demo there, and it was awesome. And it was, like, such a, like, it, it was such a great experience because of that, because, like, this guy had no idea what was going on. Right. You know, like, it's not like this guy went to shows and, like, found these bands, like, hey, come record with me. It's like, we just stumbled upon him. Yeah. And he just, like, hooked everybody up. He was, like, you know... It made for, like, just a lot of, like, interesting experiences. It made the record sound weird in a way, you know, because he didn't get our references all the time. Sure. But, like, that that was, like, a, a pretty, like, defining, I don't know, thing for, like, bands. That like, that was kind of like the Wooks Bear sound almost. Yeah, like, I mean,
0: that totally makes sense. Um, I was curious what the story with Flight Plan Records is because from the Discogs page, they only put out four things. They put yeah. out... They put out the Title Fight Seven Inch, the Correction yep. Kids Split, uh-huh. uh, a Memorial record, yes, and then a record for Zoloff, the Rock and Roll Destroyer, which is and like an Anthony Green band, yes, yes, an old Anthony Green band,
1: yeah. And they put out a, a record for this band called Reunion from Maine,
0: which oh, featured
1: they were like a lifetime worship band. They featured a Cam from Cruel Hand on vocals. Oh
0: wow! And yes, and Memorial I've, was like the was like the Renee heartfelt yes, Pete Apple band. band. yep, yep, yeah, yeah. So what's were they? Older, older hardcore kid who just wanted to put out some records. What, what was the story with with that label? Because yeah, it seemed kind of short lived.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, so th- the guy who ran it was this guy Bill Cannon. He hit us up on MySpace and was like, "Hey, I'm like interested in you know, like whatever, putting out your record or something." Just like something super like generic and vague, almost sounding. Um, but he was like the first person to ever hit us up. You know, it wasn't like a super thought out thing it was just like hey i like your music and i'd like to put out your record and like oh that's exactly what we're looking for i uh, found it interesting that
0: that that the erection kids split was a cd only i wish that was on vinyl
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm pretty content that it's not on vinyl so <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: i mean and then for you know for listeners at home erection kids is what eventually turned into balance and composure um, I think they stepped down on the uh, on the band name <laughs> game. If you ask me, uh,
1: <laughs> my parents were so offended by that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm, I'm sure
1: that's a tough sell. Uh, um,
0: how, how did you end up meeting those guys? Because they're from they're from Doylestown, I yeah. assume, right? Yeah, which yeah. is about yeah.
1: two hours like south of Wilkes Barre. Um, was that
0: like a my- another MySpace thing?
1: Yeah, that was like. W- I th- I think at that point in the history of title Flight, we had played one out of town show, which was uh, in Edison, New Jersey, I believe, at the the Mongoloid seven inch record release, and wow. we got on that because like Alex, you know, just pulled a favor. Basically, I think maybe Greg liked us, but at that point, it was basically just like Alex would tell us like, okay, Cold World's playing a show, and we'd be like, please, can we one please time? play it? And like yeah. we got that one, and that was the first one, and after that, it was basically just like. Anybody who hit us up, we would try and, like, figure something out, and those guys hit us up on MySpace, and, like, do you want to trade shows? I, th- I think maybe they had come down to see us in Kingston at this venue, Backstage Enterprises. I think maybe, like, we met them there first, and it was just, like, we're the same age, we like the same shit, you know, like, we are friends, obviously, like, automatically, like, just really close, and... Um, I think uh, I may be mixing that up, but I feel like we met first. And then they were like, hey, like, you know, you should come to Doylestown. We have this venue right now, the Teen Center, that, like, you know, we book shows at all the time. And so we basically just traded shows. We got them a show in Wilkes-Fair. They got us a show in Doylestown. And Doylestown was, like, a crazy place at that time. Doylestown was a place they had. They had the Teen Center, which was just a YMCA rec room that every single show I went to there had, like, 300 kids It was insane Every show was packed And They would come down To Wooksbury And at the time like Doyle Sound was like Way better than Bear for shows You know And like We would try and like Have a good show for them And the show would be good But like We would go down To Doyle Sound or just be like Crazy But we just kept doing that We would like Trade shows And then Just like You know Hang out We would like Drive down to Doyle Sound And go swimming in the summer And they would come To Bear And then it was just like they had done like two demos or something and wanted to do a an EP and we were like, hey, we're about to do another EP, we should do a split. And I think we bullied Bill into doing a split. <laughs> and we were like, these are our friends, we're gonna do this. Yeah. And he's like, I don't really want to do it, but okay. And then after that, it was just like, you know, they started another band and we kept playing together. And that was like that was so like those, it.
0: So those song you know, those songs, uh, as people know ended up going on the the CD version of the last thing. Yeah. the Last thing you forget. Yep. I, you, you forget. Yeah. You. It's been, it's been so long. Um, and the seven inch, uh, obviously came out on run for cover and you being a member of the band, was there a moment for, for you when it became obvious that things were like percolating, that like people were getting really excited about what you guys were doing? Or did that not hit you maybe until later on? Like until like maybe shed came out.
1: I mean, my answer is going to be very different because the time that I thought the band was popping off was in 2005 when we played Rodano's Pizza in <laughs> Wook's Bear. You know, <laughs> that's sick. W- which is like, uh, uh, you know, n- n- to to sound uh, like to to be as humble and like
0: yeah, no, I just, whatever yeah, I is it.
1: possible. But it's like we played a show, and it was the first show that I remember that like people went off for title fight. Yeah. And it was like, okay. It, it wasn't a thing of like, it, I never had a moment where like we can make it. Wow. Right. But it was like, damn people like, like our band and that's really cool. You know? And then the, like playing local shows was, I mean, it is like the, the best thing a band could ever do, you yeah. know? And like local shows at that time when it, it really felt like it, from like 2005 to 2008 in wilkes we would play like once a month. And it felt like every single show got better. And it was like, it, it, was, it, it was a really like sp- great time. Um, but so, I mean, so
0: then you come out to California though. Yeah. And then you play Sound of Fury in 2009. Was that just like, because your set, I remember from what I remember, was crazy.
1: Yeah. So I, that was like the first full US tour we ever did. Um, that summer, yeah. that was the summer in between what was supposed to be the high school and college. We did a two-week East Coast tour, or maybe longer. And then we did that tour, like, all July to August, you know? And it was just, like, I don't know. It felt, it, it felt weird because it was, like, all pretty good, you know? Yeah. It It's, like, the shows, were, for the most part, were small. But it felt like people were, like, interested and receptive and excited. And... It still, at that point, didn't feel like anything other than what I saw Cold World do, you know? Right. And so it was like, yeah, like, we're doing pretty well, but I have to go to college so I can get a job because, what, like, what am I going to do? Right. Sell t-shirts? <laughs> you know, like, that's crazy. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'd probably, like, the summer tour of 2009 was probably when it's, like, the wheel started turning where it, it was like I think we could maybe like go on tour for a little bit like postpone college for four years and like just ride this out, you know? Yeah. And it obviously turned out to be different than that but it was like <laughs> that, that, I I mean, yeah, I guess I, 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 I agree with you. You know, it, it, like that summer was the point where it was like it still felt like normal because it felt like this is like what a hardcore band can do. I've seen it. Yeah. But it felt like Maybe we could live at home with our parents for a couple of years and like do this and then uh, like resume normal life, you know, but it, it was never like, I'm going to make it. i like that. That never like hit me.
0: It's funny. Whenever I'm asked something kind of similar, I always reference our tour together in 2011. Yeah. As like, cause, cause Touche had a, a growing base that in 2009, 2010 where I felt like, you know, we were still very much like a DIY hardcore band where we would be just playing basements and whatever else. Yeah. But but our tour together in 2011, um, you know, Shed had just come out. Parting the Sea had just come out. Yeah. Two records that, de- you know, were pretty career defining records for both of our bands. If you want to call us well, having careers, it again feels yeah. weird always. Um, but I mean, like I look at that as like such such an insane time and and those shows and it's funny i hadn't thought about the venues on those on that tour and like you know and hadn't thought about it like that closely but when you look back like i remember talking to even Merrick about it it's like Merrick who books both of our our acts like we were playing like 200 300 cap rooms with mm-hmm. like that wild of a tour and that blows my mind like in my brain i was like oh we had to have been playing like like 500 cap rooms or something like that but it's like no they were like 200, 300 and America even reminded me, he's like, a lot of the shows weren't even sold out. Like yeah. they were full, but like there were shows that definitely weren't sold out. And I was like, in my brain, in my brain, every show was the craziest show, but it's just, it was funny to, to think back on that and being like, wow, it's different than what I actually remember because it felt so big and exciting, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, that whole, like everything, cause we did that tour and then we toured Australia together, like what, four months later or something? Maybe not even? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like that, that whole time. Almost got banned from Australia. Right away. <laughs> <laughs> Step off a plane, get asked to leave, you know? Um, that, that like, whatever month span from, like, Shed came out in May, the beginning of May, till the end of the year was just like, I don't know. Special. It was, yeah. Special. Yeah. Special. Let's just say special. Yeah, that tides, sure. That, I feel
0: like that ties it up. Yeah. Um. I feel like I feel like I can ramble at you all day and we can talk about memories and nostalgia of, of all of that sort of stuff. But I want to I want to move on really quick. Um, I want to talk about uh, Glitterer. So um, the first thing you put out was the not Glitterer Flexi.
1: And I, I put uh, out a record before that, just a, like a Bandcamp EP. Oh, that, did, yeah, really?
0: interesting.
1: Yeah. Because I know there's
0: like, is I know there's like an LP version of that. Is that what is, is that the tracks that are also on that? That's okay. the B side, yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. So was that re- were those I guess first two releases? Then were those done by yourself, like bedroom style? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. The what, desk that I'm sitting at right now, the microphone, like this whole setup. This is the first two glitter records.
0: Okay, so this should be a new glitterer record. Just this conversation. Yeah, it, it's it's all the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, uh, what was it like? Cause the, the first LP, the, um, the looking through the shades record, you worked with Alex G on that. And mm-hmm. how did, how was that going from like doing it in your bedroom yourself to asking him to be a part of it? Like, how did that, how did that work? And how did that come together?
1: I asked uh, Alex actually produced not glitter as well. And that was just some... Like, I I saw Alex at a show and was like, hey, I'm working on some new songs. Can I send them over to you for, like... I don't know what we want to call it, but, like, just to help me with them? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, of course. The funny story about that is that I gave him a, a thumb drive at a show, and he mailed it back to me, and it got lost in the mail. And he's like, oh, shit. I think I have them saved on my computer. And he's like, the one file is corrupt, but I have the four other songs. So he emailed me the the like the finished record and the yeah. one song the the one song like never got his 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 uh nice finishing touches on it. But uh S- so somewhere so- out
0: there is the thumb drive
1: with this track that yeah some postal worker has it that you know they're gonna <laughs> leak it one day on SoulSeek. But uh so I worked <laughs> with Alex in that capacity, which was like very just like not even working together. Like I sent him songs and he just like did some cool edits on it and sent it back.
0: Is he someone that you've known for a long time? Because he's from Pennsylvania too, right?
1: Yeah, I've known Alex since like 2017 or something. Okay. Maybe 2018. Um, but he he toured with Title Flight and we just kept in touch. And like, you know, I'd see him at shows and say what's up and talk to him and stuff. Um, but he's also just a person that when I was starting this band, it's like, okay. Kind of like referring back to the idea of like someone setting like a precedent, you know. Like, he's someone who wrote and recorded a record by himself and it actually turned out really cool. And I was like, okay, you can do it. It's possible. With, you know, like, not that great equipment, with just, like, being in your bedroom by yourself, you can do it. And so I was, like, starting to work on it, but at the same time I felt, like, uncertain and I wanted his, you know, just, like, just his feedback on it. And then when it came time to do, like, an LP, when I, like, kind of mentally committed to doing an actual album, I was like, it would be nice to have Alex there to like for ideas, yeah, but to also like be a coach um, and to be like just a sounding board for him to tell me if something sucked or not. Um, and so I asked him again if he'd be down to do that, and he was like, "Yeah, of course, no problem." And he came down, and we recorded in my parents' basement. Um, Arthur Rizik, Grammy-nominated, incredible <laughs> producer, came down, and he also ended up co-producing the record. The first one. Yeah, the first one, yeah. Oh, I didn't
0: realize that. I thought yeah. it was... J- yeah, because I, I was going to bring up his credit for the newest one. Um, yeah. Because I saw... I, saw, I, I noticed that. Um, yeah.
1: I asked Arthur to engineer, and then we just, like, Arthur is, like, I don't know. He's obviously totally fine giving his opinion, but we're just, like, we were three people just hanging out, like, bouncing ideas off of himself, and, like, you kind of became a producer, you know, like, you should be credited yeah. as such, and so... He, I asked him to be an engineer and ended up crediting him as co-producer. Right. But yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It was, it, was, uh, it was like I was trying to make it just like as an easygoing process as possible in a, in a comfortable setting with people who I like and whose opinion I trust. Um, more to feel like comfortable to committing to the ideas than anything. Because it was right. like i had been working on that record for months just by myself. And the last thing you want is like when you're so close to something to be like, this is perfect. And then you step back and you show it to people like, oh, interesting. Uh, you right, know? right. Because like that happens, you know. And so I just wanted people to be there to be like, hey, that's good. Or hey, maybe you should rework this part. Maybe you should do this different. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it's just like I just wanted that energy and environment to be like easygoing. Sure. And that's, you know.
0: This is probably a generic question that you've probably answered before, but is there something that you get out of doing glitterer that you haven't gotten out of doing uh, like other bands or, or things like that? Like, is there something more exploratory for you that you that keeps you wanting to do it?
1: Um, I think the live aspect is a is very different from anything I've ever done before. Um, it's not like the thing that makes it exciting or interesting or makes me want to do it. But it is, like, something that I think is, like, I don't know, one of the most effective parts of the band because it's so weird and uncomfortable and, like, awkward. Yeah. Um, you know, like, music-wise, I just want an outlet to express how I'm feeling. Yeah. Through lyrics and through, like, melody and through chords. You know, like, yeah. I just, I, I enjoy writing music as a way to, like, figure out when I'm like thinking, you know, um, I, I don't think I'll ever stop doing that, you know. But in terms of like aspects of the band that are new, it it is like the the big thing is doing it by myself, which is weird and uncomfortable and something that I don't entirely like all the time, and performing by myself, you know. And I think it uh it gives like a a weird conceptual framework to the band. That I wouldn't have otherwise You know I think it adds like extra weight to the lyrics I think it adds extra weight to like What's going on while I'm playing Because It's weird You know uh, Not like I invented this thing <laughs> There are other people who do it There are other weirdos You know but yeah. it's like it, it, it is still uncomfortable Especially because It sits within the context of punk and hardcore you know right. there are people who do this that are like indie people and artists and whatever and like that's still awkward and uncomfortable but it's i feel like especially weird to try and be a band who plays guitar music that doesn't have a band or a guitar you know yeah but the like it is a an, an electric guitar band
0: yeah No, that's uh, yeah. I mean, all those aspects completely make sense. Um, I'm glad you're doing it. I mean, every time I've ever seen you play, I have the best time because it's it's like peak Ned to me when I'm watching you play. (laughs) like, this is like it's I love how very serious you are when you're on stage. Like it's it seems like you could have like 12 people behind you and the way you're focused and playing like like it, it just gets me stoked like I I, I I the few times I've been lucky enough to see glitterer now, like I can't take my eyes off the stage, I think it's awesome, thank so you you, you yeah. keep that up, sir thank you um, i wrap up uh I wrap up every show with this question, which i should have I should have uh let you know beforehand. normally I do, but I'm rusty because I've taken some some time off, so I apologize if this takes you a second to sort of think on it um but I like to ask uh what the first time you felt like? you were actually doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards. You can answer that from a writing standpoint
1: or from a music standpoint. That's a good question. You know what? The thing that I I, I think about a lot is the first time we ever made it to California. Um, there's a picture that I don't know who took of me, like on a hill overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge on the first tour we ever did in, in that went to California, our first show in California was in San Francisco. Um, And I remember that moment as being something like, it's it's weird because I was like 19 years old. I was on my own with a bunch of other 19 year olds and we had made it from Pennsylvania to San Francisco in a van playing music. And it felt like this is like, this is what I want to do and this is what I'm doing. And this is like, this is the reality of it. You know, I made it to San Francisco and that feeling of like being in a place so far away from my parents, knowing that they were like worried sick about me because I was completely irresponsible, completely unknowledgeable of how the world world works, completely like unsure of how to do anything real. And like, yet there I was, you know, on top of the hill overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge. So, like, I think about that picture and I've like, I've seen it a couple of times since and it's like, that I don't know. It, it, it's like a weird feeling of accomplishment that just comes from like feeling like I was in a place because of music, you know. Yeah. Which is like, it still trips me up, you know. To be able to like travel to play music is like, it's 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 a very nice obligation to have, you know, <laughs> um, to to put it mildly. And yeah. so, yeah, that first time when it kind of, like, set in, being, like, all the way across the country, as far as you can go in the continental U.S., you know, like, here I am.
0: And had you yeah. ever had you ever been to California before?
1: I had. That's the thing. I went yeah. to San Francisco in, like, I don't know, I was probably 12 or 13 to, for a family wedding. And so, I, like, okay. I had kind of known San Francisco. We did all the touristy stuff, you know. We went down Lombard Street, which we made title fight do again in our van, which is also <laughs> one of my favorite memories. We, we went down Lombard street. Sabo with us. We were playing the rice Aroni theme song. Wait, I can't remember. It was either the rice Aroni theme song or the full house theme song. Full
0: House theme song. Probably, we went down yeah.
1: windows down, blasting, waving at everybody like stupid little things that you do. But yeah. So it's like, I had like known San Francisco a little bit, but to be there, like whatever, six years later by myself, and being like, my parents aren't here to, like, give me an itinerary anymore. Like, I'm here right. doing whatever I want to do. Like, that was crazy.
0: Do you remember what uh, what venue you played? Was it, like, Gilman? Or did you play, no, like... No. Uh,
1: oh, okay, yeah. Um, it was an art space that had... The sound booth was, a like, a, a bus. Um. Fuck. We also played there the night of... Oh uh, my god, Obama's I know you're talking second election. About.
0: I know what you're talking about. I cannot incredibly kids hot
1: f- venue. Kids from the bay
0: right now are screaming being like, "Why the fuck you fuck remember?" Uh,
1: I have less of an obligation because I'm from Pennsylvania. But <laughs> you on the other hand. Was it the Submission Art Space? I believe so, yeah.
0: Yeah, that has to have been it. Yeah. That, that has to have been it. And if not, it sorry. It was it everybody. was
1: it was in or on the mission, however you say it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Um well awesome. Dude, uh Ned, this was awesome and uh I, I really appreciate it. I'm excited I got to I, I'm honored that I'm the first person to really talk to you about your book. It's it's truly an accomplishment. I think everyone need to, needs to read it. It's called The uh, Horizontal Rust. Um it's out on uh, Shining Life. Copies are still available now. Um I, I as of I guess yesterday when I checked just to make sure. Um but pick it up. It's 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 an accomplishment and I'm and I'm so happy to have talked to you about it.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It, it is very nice to speak with you as well.
0: Hell yeah. All right. That's our show. Thank you so much to Ned Russin for coming on. And a big thank you for being here and listening. If you enjoyed the show and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. And uh, if you have an extra moment in your day, it's great to rate and review the show. It helps more than you could ever imagine. Um, Yeah, be on the lookout for these upcoming radio episodes, uh, and I'll be back next Wednesday. Stay tuned. Thank you so much.